between senseis special edition talking about training i'm going to hit the button when we're ready to go and then boom there we're going to go for it so um and this i love to repeat this because it's such a good story me and bruce lived at the gm house 10 years ago along with guys like josh friedel now a gm then a GM too. Uh, Sam Shanklin was there for a while. He wasn't a GM yet. Vinay Bot, GM Vinay Bot was there. We had uh, GM Irina Crush was there. And of course, Mr. Proust was there. And Mr. Proust left to go do chess.com stuff. I told him at the time that he would be drawn back into chess, that he might quit chess, but chess couldn't quit him. And that is my experience, my personal experience too. I was drawn back into it. You're not, you're not, you're not just going to leave chess. It is going to drag you back in. And you know what I didn't do, guys? I didn't start the thing. But I'm start the start. timer. I'm going to start the <laughs> timer right now. Start. There we go. So start. that is uh, the the short of it. And the question is, of course, like what is going on in David's life? He's got kids. When I did it, I I wasn't. I didn't have any kids. And David's a little, David's an older dude. I was also an older dude when I when I did it. It was very difficult, um, very difficult project. And so the question is, being just realistic about stuff, mm -hmm. should Bruce go for it? And with that, I'll turn it over to you guys. Maybe I should go. I'll give my opinion on David's life, All and right. then David can <laughs> <laughs> talk. Um, so yeah, as I was saying, um, or as I was thinking actually about this topic earlier. I was thinking no for David because uh -huh. he's already gone in his GM norms, um, uh, three GM norms, which requires like 2,600 performance rating, which is already a huge feat in and of itself. Uh, and for David to make GM specifically, he would have to grind his rating all the way up to uh, 2,500. I mean, that is a noble goal. You could do that. I just think it like it's so grueling and it, it's like such a it seems like such a difficult process like you've already accomplished so much like you can also focus on like coaching and helping other players like reach titles which i think is also very rewarding um so yeah i think it's like if i was i don't have any gm norms uh but if i was in david's shoes i would feel like i don't know i would start calling myself uh, gm elect and just be done with it <laughs> My rating's so low, it'd be embarrassing. I mean, it's good that I'm not a GM. People would be like, how is that guy a GM? <laughs> David, tell us, uh, just for everybody to know, how old are you now? Uh, 39. Dang. Man, oh man. But uh, just to be clear, you do have all three norms, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Wow. Okay. It would be an epic challenge, man. Epic challenge. And one of yeah, the... Be, Go ahead. Epic. I mean, realistically, there's just no space in my life for it, you know, like, yeah, I got to take care of my kids. There's, there's no way. And I think that making GM is difficult enough that you can't, you know, one quarter asset, much less half asset. And I mean, I, yeah, I, I just have no, no time. Well, one of the reasons I want to address the topic is you are doing these cool shows right now on the dojo with, uh, chess improvement whether it's end game study or all these other studies and i'm like i see you doing that i'm like oh he's feeling the fire he's definitely feeling some kind of fire when he's doing all this work right i'm working i'm working jesse yeah i'm working probably like three hours a day on my chest yeah i mean that's that's I, honestly i think that's what all you need is if it's not I think <laughs> go, go ahead i think i need so much more than that i think it would have to be like at least eight hours a day for a full year to two years, one to two years. Okay. Well, this is the interesting, one of the interesting things about what we'll be talking about today, which is mostly about training, is uh, my personal sense is that, and we actually argued about this long ago, David. I don't know if you remember, but yeah. in 2008, we were talking about it, and David was always like, oh, dude, you got to study like 3,000 hours a day. And I was like, no, you just need three very good quality hours a day. Now, I don't, you know, and the three quality hours, I'm talking like really stuff where you're pushing yourself, you know, yeah. not just like hanging out and, you know, yada, yada, but really pushing it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Laurent's pointing out when I say like eight hours a day, it doesn't have to all be training. That includes like playing in tournaments and stuff. Like I figure I would need to grind like a pretty large number of tournaments. 
um, you know, to gradually learn and improve from them. So one interesting example was uh, I think Greg Shahadi came back to chess like a couple of years ago. Yeah. And he was pretty public about like he's going to start studying a lot and like working on his repertoire and going through like the quality chess books. And I, I mean, he was playing like a lot of real GM norm tournaments. And I, I think he got, I don't know if he got a norm. I think he got one uh, like in his comeback. I don't really remember. Um, but he definitely improved his chess from what I saw quite a bit. So right. I'm sure he felt good about that. But uh, I would think that, I mean, for me, I've always needed some kind of goal, something to work for. So David, do you have any kind of like any goals in general? Not like rating wise or performance wise or anything like that. Yeah, but for, I'm for just, chess wise? Just trying to get better. Uh, <laughs> come on, buddy. We want more than that, buddy. We want more than that. That's all I want. <laughs> well, okay, this is a fascinating topic. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing that could light a little bit more of a fire for me, Jesse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, would be some Fisher Random tournaments. If they had Fisher Random tournaments with Fisher Random ratings, classical tournaments, Fisher Random titles, um, Fisher Random U.S. Championship, stuff like that, I would. I would put some more effort into that. And I would, I would rate myself as having a chance to make Fisher Random GM. But uh, I don't really foresee myself ever choosing to crank like hours and hours and hours of, of hitting spacebar and memorizing what I see. Um, it's really, really hard for me to imagine myself doing that when there's like 10 million better things to do in the world than that. I understand that I probably couldn't become a GM without doing that at all. And maybe that's a topic later on as to like what someone needs to be a GM. But, mm -hmm. you know, Sam Shanklin's told me that I would need to do that. Um, and I, I don't think I'm ever going to be willing to do that. I mean, I could do it for like one evening, but not like every day when like my, when my, when my opportunity cost is spending like three hours with my kids and instead I'm supposed to like sit there with space bar. No, man. I mean, expletive that I, I, <laughs> no way. Well, actually, let, let me chime in on that. I don't, first of all, at your age, and, and I'm up there too, you know, I'm up, I'm way past you. One thing I know, and I'm honestly, I would be the same goal. I'm just trying to come back to 2,500 myself, um, is that I know that even if I did the three hours of space bar, I wouldn't remember. I wouldn't be able to remember it, dude. So mm -hmm. guys like Shanklin can talk all day, but he's going to start finding out in his own chest that he can't remember it either when you're doing the space bar stuff. So I think one of the things for older guys, if they're gonna play uh, chess, is they have to find conceptual openings and they have to realize that the openings aren't where it's at for them. That's not where they're gonna win their games. That's my, that's my two cents. That's an interesting thing we could talk about later too. You know. By the way, yeah. 2500 level GM, I just want to say most of the games where I was screwing it up recently, very little to do about the opening. Mm -hmm. Very little to do about the opening. It's an edge, but especially like one of the sad, one of the brutal things about it for you making 2,500 me too is like you got to take down those 2,200 kids time after time. Just time after merciless grind, like these twelve-year-old kids, men sticking a stake in their heart and throttling them around. You'd have to do it over and over and over again, man. Uh, that's no problem. I think like everyone has different like strengths and weaknesses, you know. And the openings might not be as big a problem for you, Jesse. But like, I'm in general do better in a good position than in a bad position. I mean, everybody does, but I mean relatively, right? So like. I think my performance rating from like a good position is, is, is relatively higher. And my performance rating in like a bad position when defending is relatively quite low. So, you know, for you, it might be less of a problem to have like indifferent openings. And for me, it might be more of a problem because I'll be less, I'm less resilient in my defense. And obviously that's something I could work on. That's more interesting than working mm -hmm. on the openings. But I'm just saying like right now, I think that would have, you know, a relatively bigger impact for me. Than right. for you i want to say uh, fidel's chiming in here and saying that he's saying from experience 2550s don't know tons of theory either and that's my experience as well um one thing Kostya said about you that maybe makes sense to what you're saying is he called you a very concrete player and i don't know how much i want to get into that but 
with concrete. There are such, there is such a thing as concrete openings and less concrete openings. And mm -hmm. if you want to play concrete openings, then the space bar, especially like when you play those 2200 kids, because they're hitting the space bar and they're, they're dangerous. Obviously anyone's dangerous if they're hitting the space bar and they can actually remember what's going on, you mm -hmm. know? So maybe that's a thing that you would, if you did it, you know, you would have to, uh, think about I personally though I think I'm gonna say there's loads of challenges for you if you want to do it we're gonna move on to the next topic soon but I think you're using the openings as a crutch like that's definitely an obstacle but I don't think that's your main one so you're saying I'm using it as an excuse not a right. crutch right well we're you know a crutch to uh, hobble out of this argument yeah oh okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, no I mean I think I think the real crux of my argument would be like the kids and the time like yeah i, I understand there would be like different approaches to trying to improve my oh test. there it is there it is that's it my friends that's it okay we're moving <laughs> on to the next one that was a brutal i i didn't re realize it was gonna make that sound but i like I it think i mean at sports center they let them finish their thought usually no, no, that's good. <laughs> okay go ahead you want to finish your thought that's okay no let's go <laughs> let me just address two questions here what does jesse mean by space bar that is when you're using chess space and you got your computer on, you hit the space bar and it'll give you the next, what it thinks of its next best move. Um, and then we also asked, when did I make GM? That was 2007. So I was like 34. That sounds right. 34. Yeah. All right. Now, so next six and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> what does Kostian need <laughs> to make GM? Related topic, also kind of spicy. I'm going to hit that. Hit this little timer. Boom. Nice. Let's go. I want to I want to hear from Josh Fidel too, because he's actually played me, I think, more recently and more often than, than you guys have in, in tournaments. So maybe he has some some insights as well. But yeah, I'm all ears. Well, first, right. why, why don't you start? <laughs> why don't you start, Kostya, then? Oh, well, I mean, I don't, don't want to influence you guys, but um, I mean, my, my opinion is that I really got to work a lot on specifically openings and end games i would say are my two weakest areas mm -hmm. um i could work on i mean literally anything i feel like i'm sure i could improve my calculation in middle game but i feel like i really got to solidify my openings especially with black and uh, i got to do better in the end game that's my feeling i'm not really good enough to know what it takes to be a gm and i haven't seen you play a classical game really in a while but my first thought would be that you should stop doing puzzle rush and blitz and just like do more, you know, exacting, intense, like serious um, chess that's, you know, close to a classical experience. Mm -hmm. If the goal is to get, you know, classical GM, I'm not, I'm not saying it from like a, from like a value perspective or something. Right. Um, but but for becoming a classical GM, I would think more of your training would have to be stuff that's actually going to help you in a classical game. And I feel like the bulk of the training that I've seen you doing in the last couple months is training that'll help you be a better blitz player. Um, and I would say also training that's not only not just that it would help you be a better blitz player, but that almost all of it is essentially useless in classical chess. Um, and maybe you're working on other things, you know, when you're not on stream, maybe you're working on your, on your black opening repertoire or something, and I'm not seeing it, nope. but, um, what I've seen you doing is like, you know, basically trying to get better at finding like a back rank made in one second instead of like 1.5 seconds, uh, which is not, not like a, something that's limited your performance in classical tournaments. Yeah, well, to clarify, I have been specifically trying to improve my blitz play last couple of months because I right. feel like we've been stuck in quarantine. There are no GM norm tournaments for me to even think about. So I have a very hard time working on my classical chess if I'm not able to like envision myself like I'm going to be playing in Gibraltar in three months. Like I need to prepare for this tournament. Yeah. Um, so it's really it's really tough. So yeah, lately I, I just wanted to improve my blitz also because like I feel like well now rapid and blitz is super popular and there's tons of events. Um, some with monetary prizes uh, for, for Blitz and Rapid, much more than before. And mm -hmm. I feel like, yeah, if I want to be competitive, I want to be competitive in the streaming space, I really want to up my, my speed game. Yeah. Um, but I'm totally with you. Like, 
once tournaments come back and I'm, I sit down, I'm like, okay, now I want to be a GM. I'm going to transition more to like the deeper, the, the Gelfand stuff, basically. Yeah. Gelfand, Agard, Dvoretsky School of Chess Training. <laughs> the Blitz, I think, is a huge disservice. And when you think that you only have a limited amount of time that you have in your life before the window closes on the GM thing, or at least becomes significantly harder, you should be doing the hard work now uh, to start thinking, to, to doing like long thinking. And uh, you know what I mean by that is the kind of thinking that takes place in classical chess. And I realize right now it's hard because there's immediate gratification for you to become a better blitz player, to get a better, mm-hmm. higher uh, puzzle rush. But those things aren't going to be the fundamentals that help you when you play in a real tournament against dudes who want to punch you in the face. And that's what, you know, that's what's going to be like when you go and play these norm tournaments. It's rough, man. It's a rough world out there. And you're going to need it now and i think honestly the competition is probably going to be a little soft when we get out of this like they're going to have their openings done and stuff but they're not going to have their classical chess back in order and yeah. I, what i mean by that is like the calculation mm-hmm. uh, the, the like not the puzzle rush stuff but like the deep calculation of the agar book and the perfect your chess book that's the kind of stuff along with like end game studies and yada yada that really you yeah. can used to your advantage yeah and decision making discipline time management all that kind of stuff wait what do you mean what do you mean by discipline and time management that's all going to be stuff that people are going to be like soft on for a bit because they're going to be rusty Mm. like they'll either play their moves too fast or too slow they'll double check too much or too little they won't know like exactly when to like make a decision and when not to on like you know the key on the key moments so that's, I mean, I'm chiming in with Jesse, sort of agreeing with him in general that th- those would be some of the things that'll be lacking when people come back. Right. One thing, too, that's kind of curious is, um, you know, all three of us are doing a lot of this stuff where we're like teaching and we're doing chess dojo stuff. And, you know, one thing that's just interesting for everyone to think about is just this difference between studying online and studying with a board and I know for myself that the best results are going to be with a board whether it's going over my games or setting up some difficult middle game or end game problem and right Kostya especially as a millennial right is like always going to be in that online space so it's a so obviously he's going to do it more than me anyway but I think part of it is just like finding quality time to pull away from that world you know no i'm i'm definitely on board with the uh, otv stuff whenever i feel like i'm uh training um for classical chess i feel much better if i get to train in person with someone over the board and move pieces and like yeah play some play some rapid training games or like solve some positions together uh those are funny. I was telling Fortnite to stop playing so much plus. But the difference is a lot of people come in onto the stream and they're like, how do I get better at chess? Right. And it's like, yeah, if you want to improve, then I agree you got to take your time. Yeah. So last thing, Kostya, if you're teaching people under 2000, I think that also makes you worse at chess. So, I mean, with the way your time is split up between so many activities, it, it would be really tough for you to push towards GM with your current, like, division of time and you'll you'll have to choose between the priorities because i'm not telling you which is better or worse but like you know when otb tournaments come back you'll have to figure out how much are you streaming how much are you blitzing how much are you studying how much are you teaching um uh yeah no when i when i'm taking the classical chess seriously i, I play like almost <laughs> no blitz um it e- blitz is weird e- for e- me e- <laughs> 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 done. Done. Yeah, that'll be it all right. Well, we'll come back to this. This is definitely an interesting topic for me, uh, because I think of all, of like Costa especially needs to get on it. He needs to get on it, man. I need to get on it too, but Costa needs to get on it. All right. Here we go. Best training method. Uh, several things to, to talk about here. Well, interrelated with what we were talking about before. Let's start this thing. Okay. Who wants to go first? 
I'll go first then. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, your, turn, your turn. So as you know, uh, I have a kind of a philosophy about um, how to improve, and that is all about uh, studying your own games. I really believe that, and it's very different from what other people are saying. Um, and in general, I would say that something like a 70-30 dynamic is a good one. And so what I mean by that is 70% going over your own games and 30% other stuff. You know, So opening study, maybe 5% of that. And then you're going to want to be doing end game puzzles and studies and like how to play end game stuff. And then stuff I think like the iGuard calculation book. Um, I think those are really great. Um, that's of course different from everybody else and the two cents that I want to finish with is I, I listened to a pretty cool perpetual ch chess podcast with this guy who's about a national master something named Chablis and he's like a psychologist guy who's written some interesting books and he made this very obvious point that everyone has these different methods and everybody goes on perpetual chess podcasts and says their method but none of them have actually been tested right and the hilarious thing is people are so certain about it about their own method and usually what they're saying when they tell us their method is just how they got reasonable themselves uh, at chess and so it's like they're recreating that memory and pushing it out there for the rest of the world mm -hmm. um, and I just want to say that when I thought about that, I was like, right, the, the, the true defense of what I'm saying when I, when I say 70-30 is not only do I believe that, that studying your own games is going to make you better, but I also think it's the most interesting and spiritual way to study chess. That is, if you just do problems, you're not going to become more a more interesting person. You're not going to learn as much about yourself, especially if you just study openings. You are going to become a dull dude. <laughs> you are going to become a dull dude. So I think everyone is drawn to chess for spiritual reasons. That's my own take on it. No one talks about spirituality in chess, but I'm convinced that that is what ultimately keeps us here. That is why David is back. <laughs> he tried to run away, and we brought him back. Um Anyway, so that's the thing I want to say about the different methods. I think people are recreating their own path to success and maybe a sense of spirituality within it when they tell us about the best training method. But I'll leave it there. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that the best training method varies at every different rating level. Um, so I don't have like one formula. If, you, if Jesse were talking about players around our level if you were talking about what Coastie or I should do to become a GM mm -hmm. then I would say that it's a pretty reasonable plan I think that I mean I don't know exactly what the percentages would be because I haven't thought about it in that kind of detail honestly but I think that analyzing my own games would probably be one of the most profitable things for me to do and I would put a lot of time into it and my other time would be stuff like you know end game study solving end games all, all kinds of stuff that Jesse just mentioned so I mostly agree with you, Jesse. Okay, I got a different answer. Um, well, because like I would agree with you guys that depending on your level, you should be doing different things. I think at lower levels, the focus should be more on like learning ideas, like tactical themes and patterns and basic positional concepts and kind of like seeing them in games. Um, but one thing that I think is pretty universal, no matter what level you're at, that I would recommend is just this idea of uh, space repetition. I think whatever you're studying in chess, you should really focus on it for a good chunk of time. Uh, for me, that's probably around like four to six weeks. So if you wanna improve your calculation, dedicate four to six weeks, you know, every day or five days a week, you're gonna solve some puzzles from the same source. Just choose one book, choose one course, just go through it. Or if you wanna like work on an opening, you need a new opening, four to six weeks, like immerse yourself in it, play it a lot, try to study a lot of games. I think the brain can only absorb and remember so much uh, information at a time. Um, so what I think happens with a lot of players is they study everything a little bit and they don't really remember. So they'll spend like 30 minutes a week on rook end games and then they can't remember them during an actual game because they didn't spend that much time on it, right? Even though in their mind, they're like, oh yeah, I covered some end games this week. 
So I think if you want to learn like the Lucina and like Philid or like basic Root King games and you like haven't learned those before, then you gotta spend uh, some time learning on them, learning them, then reviewing them maybe one week later, practicing them against the engine, like playing them out multiple times, maybe a training partner. Um, well, basically what David does on, on some of his streams. And I think that's when you actually get some of that retention. Um, same thing when you're like studying games. Um, I remember like seeing some really interesting games out of a positional book, strategy book. And then uh, one month later, I would see the same game and be like, I know I looked at this one, but I don't remember anything that happened. And then I would go through it again and then it would kind of um, click in my memory and like, oh yeah, I did look at this. And then the idea 100% uh, uh, would stick later. Yeah. So whatever you guys are doing, I would say focus on it. So but with this, okay, I get it. Like focus on it. What, what, with, what, what does that have to do with just the term spaced repetition? So that refers to like, they, they have some kind of, um, I don't know if it's like an algorithm, but it's this idea like if you want to learn and uh, remember something, you should repeat it uh, regularly and uh, not too long after initially learning it. So the idea like that Chessable uses is like if you learn an opening line, they're going to show it to you again like two days later so that you review it. And then if you get everything right, they'll show it to you three days later. And if you get everything right, they'll show it to you four days later. Not exactly those numbers, but that's kind of the the idea. Gradually uh-huh. spacing it out and seeing that you still retain it. Yeah. Yeah. I um again I'm gonna agree mostly with what with what Kostya said. Um I also preach like focus and putting like a big effort into something and not trying to learn a hundred things at once, which I don't think many people can do. Again, I would say different people are different, so some people will remember things the first time. There are a small number of people, but there are some. And then there are other people who will remember things if they repeat it. But there are other people who won't remember it even if they repeat it. Like for them, something else has to happen for them to remember it. Like they have to like write the moves out on a piece of paper Mm. or they have to tell a friend about it. Um, For a lot of people to like take something that you've learned and then teach it to someone else is a great way to remember it. And uh, so like Kosi, if you studied something that's sort of like at an IM level and then you tried to like teach it to me next week, right? And then, you know, I could try and like, you know, show it to you know, Jesse a week later, or whatever, that kind of a thing is for some people a good way of gaining that same kind of retention that you're looking for with spaced repetition. I would say spaced repetition is useful and, and, and a strong uh, thing, but that everybody has different things that are most effective for them. Yeah, true. No, but, but I think a lot of those things are almost everything you mentioned, I think is going to be more useful than just kind of reading a book and then not doing anything, not doing notes, or not trying to explain it to anyone. Like, I think doing a little bit on top of it is, is going to be really beneficial. Laurent asked about like if it's just for remembering stuff. I don't think so. For me, it was like I would just look at uh, classic games, uh, like really nice games. And then you come back to them a couple months later. You don't really remember the details of the game, um, but I think the you can still learn a lot of patterns from going through it again. I wouldn't say really basic patterns. I would say um, you can learn. All kinds of patterns just from studying games multiple times one thing that strikes me about this and i don't i don't totally buy into the space repetition but one thing um i'll say about calculation is m- with my own personal experience the problem that i have is i can become lazy and just like trust my first intuition and for example later that tonight we're going to go over me and coast are going to be covering some games uh, and, you know, when you do commentary, whether it's like tonight or any other thing, I'm just going to give my first off-the-cuff impression, and then t- maybe we'll talk a little bit about it, then we'll go on to the next game. And that creates a false sense of confidence that you know what you're saying. So, mm-hmm. like, I feel like one of the great things about calculation and studying your own games is like that that thing where you, you get a recursive thing where you, somebody's going to punch you in the face, and you better... And, without that without that like check on myself i lose the feeling of conscientiousness the habit of conscientiousness um and it it's to a certain extent what i mean by at least where spaced repetition makes sense to me there is i have to constantly come back like let's say i do these this agar book for four weeks i think that'd be great for me uh i have to come back to some kind of thing like that often often for me to keep it in the habit because i know just from personal experience that i leave it and then it's terrible terrible for my chest 
Okay, God, that that thing's awful. All right, <laughs> I kind of like it. It's like, stop talking. You move yeah. on. Okay, no, that was good. I am I am enjoying this conversation. All right, next up, can anyone make GM? Kostya, you go first. Uh, well, I'm I'm not gonna I'm gonna try to interpret the question intelligently and not literally. Because I don't think literally anyone can make GM. Okay, wait, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> I think the way it should be meant to be asked is, like, let's say someone is born into this world, anyone, given the proper support uh, and nourishment and teaching, could that person make GM? Right. So, yeah, that's that's how I would have, right, just kind of naturally interpreted the question. Like, within reason, if you take the average human with no special uh mathematical or spatial ability and you gave them the support kind of like laszlo polgar style would they be able to make gm my intuition is um yes um similar to how like i remember reading that apparently uh almost any child can develop a perfect pitch if you train them early enough Mm -hmm. or it's like a very high percentage uh, but they have to receive some some training uh so I feel like it's going to be a similar thing with uh, with uh, GM. If you get like really serious training when you're uh, a young kid, um, I think, yeah. What do you think, David? I think that Kostya should know better than that. Um, <laughs> there's there's so many people who are trying really hard to become GMs and are not GMs. Like the percentage of people becoming GMs is so small, and. Like some people who are like masters or IMs or GMs may not like recognize special talents in themselves. They're aware that they've got like weaknesses because they've analyzed themselves over time and they're like, you know, I'm just a normal dude. But like the odds are that they have some kind of special talents, um, you know, even to get to like 2200 or 2300 or 2400. So I think, I think, I think no. I think GM is like, it's, uh, it, it's got to have some special skills. And I don't, just mean um, personality traits because I think those are really important actually. But if we just talk about like some kind of like natural stuff that goes well in your brain, I think yeah, you have to you have to have some kind of predisposition for that. You know, like particularly good at memorizing opening theory or remembering patterns or I mean they, they've got to have some really special stuff I think to be a GM. I, I think that's only true because like when we look for talent in kids that's the thing we often look for like a kid that can memorize things or a kid that kind of naturally gets it or sees tactics that like aren't obviously explained to them but i think we see those kids and then we like pour resources into them like okay this is a talented kid let's try to turn them into a champion um but i'm sure lots of kids just they just like learn slower they just don't get into the game and vishnu made i mean probably the most important point that i think it's just a question of money i think if you give any kid like hours and hours of gm coaching uh, I think they get there. But there are tons of kids who have that and haven't made it. But maybe they weren't coached in the best possible way. Maybe they needed like a special like uh, <laughs> I mean, You're never going to have like 100 million people all getting the very best coach. You know, some of us have to have like the 10th best coach and the 20th best coach. Like, but Well, that's what makes still... it so so difficult. Like, okay, if you don't but have so, like, the perfect... If someone doesn't make GM, it's because they were coached by you instead of by like Shanklin or something. Like, that's not enough of a reason. No, There's too many people. So many reasons. It could be like parental pressure. It could be like, look, actually, I'll, I'll give you a personal example. I was a talented kid, but no one like sat down and explained to me that like chess is like a real thing that you can take seriously. For me, it was always like a hobby. It was just fun. I go play. Sometimes I win. Sometimes I lose. I win more often, so it's kind of fun. But no one like told me like, "Hey, Kostya, like you're actually pretty good at this. If you took this seriously and spent more time on it, like you could like." I didn't even know there was a chess world. I didn't know there was like a world champion or any kind of like system beyond like. <laughs> sometimes you just show up on weekend tournaments and, and play. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm fine. It was a lot less pressure when I was a kid compared to other kids, maybe uh, that were also kind of like uh, talented and a lot of pressure being put on them. But. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, we, we do have like uh, a lot of ex- not a lot of, but we have examples of people just like becoming a GM from when they were very young. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they almost exclusively got like tons of training. Like, are there a lot of players who got to GM without like tons and tons of training? Probably not tons. 
But 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 my my attempt to contradict you is to claim that there are many people who have had resources, who have had time and effort, and didn't make GM. People who had access to coaching and tournaments and everything and didn't make it. Tons and tons and tons of people. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to chime in on this uh, and just say I. I'm I'm with David on this one, but I will say that for a long period of my life, I basically did believe that anyone could, at the very least, make huge improvement. And the thing that switched my thinking, and this goes beyond just chess, was I read a book uh, on genetics by a dude named Mukherjee. It's just called The Gene. Very nice layman-style book. And that has switched my sense about human qualities. And a very basic way that helps me understand it was like when I was just thinking about myself as a physical being, right? We, You could just say, you know, talk about physical traits, which are easier to grasp than chess stuff. Uh, and you, you ask yourself, okay, on, on a bell curve, like a human bell curve, where does Jesse rate in terms of speed? Not very high, maybe four out of 10. We're all kind of at the top of these bell curves anyway, right Right around here where very few people are at the end. Where does Jesse rank in dexterity? Oh man, way down there. <laughs> He's not doing too good on the dexterity. And strength, maybe I'm slightly higher, maybe like a six out of 10 or something, 60th percentile. And so like when I think about it that way, like. I, no matter what training I have, I'm not going to win the 100-yard dash. I'm not going to be in the top percentile of that. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. I think actually in every sporting pursuit, I would have never, with regardless of whatever training I had, I would have never made it. Um, I m- might have enjoyed it, but I, I don't think I would have ever made it. Um, yeah, and so I think. Well, what are we? What are you talking about making it? Like, because well, GM, you're, you're like in the reaching very... some kind of top top tier. Right. of competitive performance right absolutely he, yeah. he's saying if you acknowledge that you have limits in various different activities wouldn't there also be limits in chess i mean you can't you can't really think that like that if everybody had access to training like gm would be the bottom of the bell curve like gm would be like the the one percentile and like the other 99 percent of people who had talents for it would be like that much better than gm I don't know. I mean, if are we saying if the whole world started studying chess all the time, I think we would have a ton of GMs. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you're saying that we would have seven billion GMs, and that like the you know that the like 500 million lowest rated GMs would be like you know the one percentile of like talent. I mean, they I, would be the people who like you teach them something like four lessons in a row and they don't get it. Well, I just mean like. <laughs> and they I, would be GMs. I'm not now. a huge like stats guy, but I think if you have a distribution and then you give the distribution equal training, then the distribution would remain the same probably, right? Like we're still gonna have a normal distribution, everyone's just shifted all like much stronger. Like Russia, for example, where the starting rating is eighteen hundred instead of uh, you know, twelve hundred. <laughs> Interesting. Um I think it's it's a kind of fundamental way that one use, views the world about genetics, I guess. And um, I think there's some interesting political components to the discussion as well, because if once you say that some people can't make it, it becomes like it's a very political thing to say. It's actually, you know, one of the most political things you could possibly imagine. So, it, yeah, it's it's. It's a question that is goes beyond just like uh, some basic empirical tests, right? And it goes to our deeper assumptions about how the world works in an interesting way. Um, I think, though, that genetics in my lifetime has really shifted the ball field, and at least for my mind, of how, how humans work. Um, and, and that, to me, would be right where I'm forced. I feel like my hand's forced on this question. Neil Bruce um, said this funny thing above where he's like, you better watch it. Your your rates, you know, you're not going to get less students. And it's actually an interesting thing in the chess world because people are promising, kind of trainers are kind of promising 
to make people GMs in subtle ways, like Augard's book is called Grandmaster Preparation. You know, like <laughs> do these books and you're going to yeah. make GM. And I'm Let like, me clear. I'm not saying I can turn anyone into a GM. Uh-huh. I think there's a magic formula out there, but we're, we're pretty far from discovering it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's an interesting debate. Um, yeah. Okay. We can promise improvement. I do believe you can promise improvement. I will say this before this evil timer goes off that um the, the all right uh, that was a great thing you were going to say what's the next topic <laughs> <laughs> next topic is kind of related and actually i'll, I'll lead because it's very similar to what i'm saying here let me turn on my little timer is that um one cool thing that's happened in the last couple years for me is that i've come to see my own struggle as a chess improver, I see it as very similar to loads of people that aren't as highly rated. I feel like their struggles are very similar to mine, whether they're trying to make expert, uh, master, NM. By the way, out there, if, if you're not from the U.S., NM stands the USCF, U.S. Chess Federation thing, which means 2200 USCF is basically like 2100 FIDE. Um, but it's a big deal for a lot of people in this country to have the NM title, so that's why we're putting it out there. Um, what FIDE is NM, 2100. Um, and so there's this interesting thing where I've come to see that their struggles are my own, and a lot of it is personal life struggles too. Like Vishnu is out there, he's got a kid, he's trying at an older age to make, you know, cross first maybe 22,000 and then you know maybe beyond and one of the amazing things that I've seen about it is almost every adult chess improver comes to the game with an idea of like I'm gonna make NM that's one of the first things they say or maybe they're even more ambitious and say oh I'm gonna make GM and they're already like in their 20s or maybe even their 30s and they're saying this about their goals and the first thing i try to tell people is like tone it down <laughs> no let's start let's start with a more modest goal first because this is going to be very difficult and one of the cool things i think about the struggle is whether you're trying to make 1800 or 2000 it's such a difficult personal journey for everybody involved that it kind of becomes at least for me as a fan inspirational like when we do the show later tonight i i'm i'm inspired by somebody who's like 1800 and trying to make 2000 i think that's an amazing thing anyways i've talked too much i'm gonna send it to you guys um did you give a number jesse that's true i totally dodged that question (laughs) um I'm going to go ahead and say there are some people who can't make National Master in the same way that I don't, they were saying, can anyone make GM? I'm, I don't think everyone can make National Master. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, the, old, the younger you are, absolutely, the, the more helpful it will be, but not everybody can make National Master. And we're asking the age where you like learn the rules of chess or it's the age where you, let's say, get, get serious about chess? Because I would think it's... I believe it's a huge advantage to learn chess when you're a child, even if you only learn the the basic rules and then you pick it up later as an adult versus someone who learns as an adult. I would say get serious. There's so many people who at least like were told the rules as a kid that, you know, almost all the data and and experience that we have is based on people who've at least like, you know, heard about chess when they were a kid. They might not know en passant, but they know how the horse hops or something. Mm -hmm. And, And to be fair, like if there's somebody out there who is 45 years old and they're rated 2150 USCF right. and they come to me and I will say, yeah, we can make 2200. For sure <laughs> yeah. we can make 2200. I hope you tell them you can make <laughs> You know, the 50, 50 points is doable for anybody. Right. It might, it might still be a very hard journey, but 50 points is doable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have a strong sense of where the cutoff age would be again like jesse i think there's probably like a uh, a percentage of people who would would never make nm but then the question's kind of undefined for them but i think it's a pretty small percentage um i think um i think basically every 2650 in the world anyone who's ever been over 2650 except for ray robson is probably able to make 2700 <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> no, but um, back to the national national one. I think that I think that probably even in your fifties, you could probably still do it. I would think probably even someone in their fifties could still do it. It's going to depend on how close you are to it, right? So, like, you know, somebody who's made like 1800 earlier in life or somebody who's made 1200 or somebody who's made 1950. I think that's going to be like a big, a big difference because it's a question of how much time and effort you're going to have to put into it because it's probably going to be like, you know, four to 10 years of work. Right. So, um, if you're already seven of seven years into that eight years, then, you know, you've got a better shot at like 55 than someone else does at 52 who hasn't even started. Um, but I'd say somewhere in the 50s is probably still possible to make, you know, sizable improvements of several hundred points and, uh, you know, get to national master. Um, yeah, it feels like this is a question question for like neuroscientists. <laughs> yeah, not us. <laughs> I agree. Well, um, but I, I'll say yeah. this about it that's interesting for coaches. Uh, definitely, like I coach a lot of older guys. I kind of like it. And... I've coached guys in their 60s and 70s, and um, honestly, guys, I have a student, and one of my best students is rated about 1,300 over the board, and this guy is working. <laughs> this guy is working hard to make it, man, and he is making some improvements, and one, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like the struggle is the same, no matter what rating you are, um, and the thing about this one is like to actually make improvements one of the interesting things is you gotta be realistic about what your weaknesses are when you're an older guy because you're gonna be I don't think when you're an older guy you don't want to be playing the Nidorf you don't want to be playing some hectic stuff where you have to remember remember anything no way do you want to make your play you want to be an uh, become good at playing closed positions and maneuvering chess. You're not gonna. You're not gonna want to play the 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 open feisty fighting game. That's not for you, my friend. <laughs> That's something you're gonna want to train because eventually you're gonna face those situations anyway. But you are, do, you have to recognize that that there, there's ways to beat the young, and the old and the wily can beat the young. But it's gonna be. A, you have to recognize what your strengths are when you go into it yeah so i would say this question from like a practical point of view for me is just kind of like it's often self-defeating when people ask this uh because i'm sure we've all gotten the question of like yeah i'm this age and i'm only this rating like can i still make 2200 right uh and i i think like often those people i mean they're they're just so concerned with the end result that like you're probably better off just try, <laughs> just assume you can and do your best and then you will make more progress than if you think you can't. So like from a practical point of view, uh, I feel like everyone should be thinking like the sky is the limit. Uh, and there is a sense that like, yeah, if you dropped everything and just worked on chess like full time, then it, it does feel like, you know, basically anyone can make a, a ton of progress. But of course that's unrealistic because people have lives and families and stuff. So it's like, uh, you're never going to put in a hundred percent of the effort. So just like uh, put in as much as you can and just see where, where you end up. Yeah. And so the theoretical questions aren't, I don't think are super useful for people. Now, let me just, I want to say a couple things on this um, questions, both four and five. I feel like one thing just from my personal experience of watching other players and myself is really important for people to, to, to know is that if you work really hard at chess for a long time, you will, you will, no question about it, reach a plateau. And where that plateau is, if you've reached that plateau, and a lot of people, when they come to me for coaching, they've already reached that plateau. And then if they're within 50 to 100 points of 2200 USCF, I will say, yes, you can do it. If they're not, then I'm going to say probably not. And one reason I like the question is so many people have written me who are just beginners and asking me, I want to, and they'll just write it out real cleanly. They're like, my goal is to make national master or even more ambitious. My goal is FIDE master or something like that. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, no, no, my friend, it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the majority of people who've asked me this question, 
my answer has been yes. Like the majority of them have been players, you know, rated, you know, whatever, 1,200 to 2,000 who were like, you know, somewhere between 20 and 50. And for for most of those cases, I was like, yeah, you could make National Master. Yeah, yeah. I often get the question from uh, from teens actually who like maybe got a late start, mm-hmm. but not that late. And so they're maybe like 14, 15, 1,500, 1,600. Uh, I would say for the vast majority of these players, you definitely have time to to make NM and, and go further if you took it really seriously, especially if you already learned and, and got to some some decent level as a, as a kid. Um, the other example, actually, uh, I guess it relates to a previous topic, but um, Shanklin says, I mean, he calls himself untalented, and he reached extremely high level, much higher than 2,500. Yeah. Um, so maybe he has other talents that he's not letting on. But. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, Shanklin. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for what it's worth, when he was at the house, if you had told me that that kid was going to reach 2,700 someday, so this was when he was like 17 years old, I would have said no way. And so I was wrong about him. He's, he's, at least he's an interesting example of somebody I was wrong about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let me just address a couple questions that are unrelated to uh, what we got. Bar and some, okay. we got someone asked me what, what book was the calculation book. This is just called Calculation by Agard. I'll hold it up. Uh, if you have not done a calculation book or you're looking for a calculation book, I think Perfect Your Chess is a better book. But uh, I've done that one a couple times, so now I'm moving on to this one. Okay. Uh, slightly related question everybody's got a favorite author and it probably helped them improve maybe there's not just one but uh, this would be I thought a nice way to finish it off in terms of yeah who helped you improve and uh, maybe who formed your chess thinking so I'm gonna start and David why don't you start us off on this one my favorite chess author is Gary Kasparov He's really good. He understands chess very well. What books uh, he did put, you like in particular? He puts, he puts a lot of effort into his uh, work, uh, which is an important component as well. So, what books do I like of his? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Right now, I'm reading My Great Predecessors. It's really good. Uh huh. Um, as a kid, I read a book of his, which was an autobiography, like not even chess, and it was also great. Mm-hmm. I think it was called Child of Change, um, in which he like describes in painstaking detail like his days and his emotions, like you know, up to his like match with like Karpov, and uh, that was fantastic for me. Kosi, you got your finger up? What's going? On? <laughs> Oh, sorry. No, I just I have the Kasparov books here. These are oh, okay. Classic. You can tell <laughs> he has a very specific aesthetic to his, uh, his covers. Uh, I don't know if I have. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I feel like my favorite author has got to be Agard. I, I think I've enjoyed his books quite a bit. Just to name a few, like Excelling at Chess. The previous series he wrote is called Excelling at Chess, and starts with this first book that's kind of about like I think practical chess understanding and training and then it has like these specific books like excelling at chess calculation excelling at uh combinational play positional chess technical chess and and so Mm -hmm. on uh I feel like I've learned so many uh things from from his books that I now are just like a very real part of my thought process and my games that yeah I feel like I I own a bunch okay uh so, so one thing I'll just respond to those two things briefly uh, I think Test of Time by Kasparov is one of the best books ever written fantastic book uh, I think My Great Predecessors is garbage I think that is terrible that guy just turned on the engine and let it run and then you know started saying stuff terrible book <laughs> uh, I think it's got that book got a lot of hype because it's, it's one of those books that are so big but no one's actually read. Like people talk about it, but they don't read it. You get the same thing in like philosophy. You get some big tome, and everybody talks about it, but no one's actually read the thing. <laughs> um, Agard, I'm a little surprised because I don't find his writing that cogent. 
you know, like it, with this book too, I'm like, yeah, it's a bunch of puzzles, but I don't really hear you talking yeah. to me in any clear way. They're um, also too easy. So, well, the puzzles I'm doing are definitely pretty hard. I want to, I do want to, <laughs> I want to say that. Um, Jesse, I think you should read uh, Thinking Inside the Box. That's his like latest one. And uh -huh. I, I think it's like absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's more okay. just about like more about training. It's kind of like everything. All of his thoughts condensed into one book. I would okay, say. no, I, I'll order that right now. That's good. Um, uh, I feel like I've gotten a lot out of different books, but I'm going to piss Sarah one off, and I'm pretty sure Nimzovich is the greatest chess author of all time. Yeah, well, it's it's very strange that as great a chess author as Sirwan and as great a strategic chess thinker would be so wrong about something as he is about Nimzovich. Um, yeah. So don't worry about pissing him off. Like everybody's got their <laughs> blind spot. Wait, can we can we go yeah. back and talk about Kasparov for a sec? Because yeah. I'm uh, I think I'm in between you guys. I I'm with David in that the My Great Predecessors books I think are brilliant and. Uh, I feel like I've seen so many interviews with grandmasters where they mention this series. It's like uh -huh. you know, they're more often than not. Um, but I'm with Jesse in that I think like the computer lines, like, I don't know, I've never felt like those were helpful. I'm just, I like the books for the stories and the, the games themselves and maybe some of the critical moments. Um, but David said like he spends 30 minutes on a page uh, for the book. I mean, that's fine. Like if you're really into the, the variations, but I never liked going through those long lines. I thought they were just, I just don't see how it like helps me. I'm not going to calculate that stuff. Right. The players didn't calculate that stuff yeah. either. <laughs> right. Yeah. No one. No one saw those variations, buddy. No one saw those. I can tell you, I've been solitaire chessing a lot of the games before I read the notes, and players can see those lines. I've seen them. So, I I, I agree that basically the book would be better if he didn't even have any computer checking. Um. Yeah, can you imagine if it was just Kasparov's like? Yeah, thoughts? I think I think I think computers shouldn't be used in chess books. Period. I'd much right. rather have a book with like, you know, one error on every page that you're trying to find, or five errors on every page that you're trying to find. But you know, that's done by like you know the best human minds. Yeah, see yeah, the value in that. Really. Um, one thing I should say about Nimzovich before people go out and buy the Nimzovich books is they're certainly. Uh, outdated and uh you know it's a long written a long time ago um but the thing about it that nimzovich brought to the table that no one else has really done since then is to put chess concepts into very clear words where i feel like most of the other authors are not doing it and part of it i think has to do with money and time and just that chess books aren't going to make a lot of money so to really write a book where you think deeply about it and you write it and you rewrite re it and you think deeply about the examples like that's the kind of th you're not gonna be able to crank a book like that out every year or even every couple years that's like something where Nimzovich did two great books and that was it you know and there are several paragraphs in there that just stuck with me and like oh yeah and some of them it was written kind of like an old-timey language too for example um, on the very second page of my system, he basically says that pawns aren't people. He doesn't say it the way I say it now, but he basically says it. You know, pawn moves are not developing moves, my friend. And boom, you're like, oh, right, I'm just, bam. You know, so a lot of these things, these basic concepts he was able to express. And when I read a chess book, when it's not like some calculation book like this, I, that's what I most want. I want somebody to put something into clear words and most of the chess stuff that I read now doesn't have the clarity that I was hoping for. Chess Praxis is one of my favorite books that I've ever read. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely up at the top. If I were to answer this question sort of like spiritually instead of like technically, um, then my answer might have been Richard Retty as opposed to Kasparov. Richard Retty is another one who I just love the way he like talks about ideas and all that. Huh, that's interesting. Um, what, what, book, what book in particular are you thinking about? You know, it's been it's been so many years that I might get them wrong, but I think there was one where he based there was one. It may have been called like you know the modern masters or masters of the sport, like yeah. masters of chess. Basically, right. goes through like you know chess development from you know eighteen fifty to nineteen thirty or something. Right, right, right. Um, it was very, very, very good. Okay, I I think I saw that when I was a kid, right? But I haven't. 
I haven't thought about that one in a long time. Gelfin's book's definitely great. Um, I'd also say Dvoretsky. I actually really enjoy his writing. Like, I think he's a great uh, storyteller. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, I just enjoy his, like, his, his autobiography. Like, it doesn't have a ton of, like, instructional stuff, but I, I found it fascinating. And I want to talk about Gelfin for a second because, um, well, I've read the first two. I think there's a third one coming out at some point. Um, I thought there were aspects of the books, the Gelfand books, really, really good. And this was partly Agard's fault because Gelfand was really reaching in the presentation of the book, as was Agard, to do something like my system, to develop like a system of thinking about the game. And what it unfortunately devolved into, and this doesn't mean you shouldn't read it, it just means it's not one of the greatest books and it kind of didn't reach its full potential, is it devolved into a Gelfand's Great Games collection, which is great. That's a great book, but it's not what it is billed to be, which is like this comprehensive uh, explanation of the dude's chess principles. And that's what I wanted. And there were aspects of that in there, especially the discussion of space, but it wasn't all the way there. I thought it delved into his thought process. Like, I mean, I, I was really happy with the two books. Um, but uh, I, don't, I don't know if I got the same feeling that he was trying to present a system. I got it as they were trying to just show what the mind of uh, 2700 is like, um, both good and bad, because he, he talks about some of like, his misses and, and stuff, too. Um, but. Is, is My Most Memorable Games one of those books? I think that's a separate one for Gelfand. Okay, because that's the Gelfand book that I have that I've been reading. It hasn't particularly captured me. I just it's here so uh yeah yeah we were talking about um the new ones from quality chess like not that new but positional decision making dynamic decision making apparently the new one's coming out this month technical decision making and decision making in heavy peace end games oh my god <laughs> Gelfand's book also suffered oh also suffered from too much uh too much computer it was a real bummer it kind of ruined a lot of the uh thinking in, in